So welcome along to uh, to this chat with Ian Scott, who is a former Manchester City player. Some of you will have seen him play. I did on many occasions. Some of you might be too young because I'm getting on now. Um, or you may not have watched as many of Ian's games as I did. So to begin with, perhaps you, Ian, can give us a, your summing up of your Manchester City career. Uh, well, good evening. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I, my memories of Manchester City go back to probably being around about 14 years old when a guy called Eric Molinder um, came and watched me play. And at the time I was, I was at Blackpool FC as a schoolboy. And I, they, they approached me and I thought that was the be all and end all. That was it. You know, I was at Blackpool and, you know, no one else would, would be interested. And I was at Blackpool for maybe a couple of seasons. Uh, a couple of years as a schoolboy and then Eric came knocking and told him I was at Blackpool and he carried on knocking and knocking and um, eventually um, I didn't like having to go away from home during the summer holidays and staying in hotels and stuff like that what is what I was doing at Blackpool and um, I uh, joined City around about 15 years old um, and we used to train a couple of nights a week with uh, Tony and, and Glyn, God rest his soul. Um, so they were great memories. And uh, I, I remember people like Andy May being there and Steve Kinsey was there. And um, obviously the, 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 the guys I grew up with playing um, were there and, and thereabouts. So that was the early days. Um, I joined City at obviously 16 as a school, as a, an apprentice. Um, and we were the uh, memories for us was we were the first year that had to go to college. We were the, we were the first YTS year had to go to college. So we, we used to go to college one day a week with the United boys. Well, uh, you can imagine how seriously that was <laughs> that was taken. Um, but we had a good time. We had a laugh, and uh, we got through everything. And um, and then you know we we I uh, played for the the youth team, which was very successful at the time. And um, we you know Lancashire Youth Cup. Uh, the youth leagues, we would we would win on a on a sort of a regular basis, and um, eventually we we got through to the the FA Youth Cup final, um, which is I think what we're best, well I'm best known for. That's probably for sure. Um, you know, from a book from uh, Phil Phil Gittenberg, and I'd have to mention him, or else he'll never forgive me. <laughs> um, so yeah, we we you know we spent two years as apprentices and uh, had a great time with a great group of guys. Um, forever in the memory. Um, Pinnacle was the winning the FA Youth Cup against United at Main Road. Um, and then from there, we sort of transitioned into the, into the first team, which was fantastic, you know, to be able to play for your local town club. Um, you know, six or seven of us were, were in there about. And, um, I spent around about three years in and out of the first team. Um, couldn't probably quite get a get um, a foothold in there at the time. Um, so yeah, it was it, they were good times, um, forever forever in the memory. Um, but um, didn't didn't quite work out eventually. Um, so you, but, you mentioned that you started at Blackpool. Were you a supporter of City Blackpool? Anybody when you were a, a little kid, or does no, that not happen at that stage? You know, I was never. Um, what you would call the typical football fan. 
you know, you hear players who say they were on the terraces at seven years old and they, they you know, they, they watched every game and, and this, that and the other. And I was never the typical football fan. I didn't particularly, I never went to a game until I was older, you know, maybe 15 or 16 years old. Um, didn't mind City, didn't mind United. I had friends who were City fans, friends who were United fans. Um, I just enjoyed playing. And I was usually the kid who, who maybe sat out first. So we'd go on the school fields and we'd, we'd play for two or three hours and then we'd go and play something else. And, you know, I remember my granddad always saying I was always the first one to sit down when I'd play with my granddad and my dad, <laughs> you know. Um, I just played what I played and, you know, I wasn't... I, I, and that's one of the things I always think about now is I don't think... I may have made it these days because I don't think I could have gone training three or four nights a week and put the commitment in that these kids do now, at, you know, at six and seven years old even. Um, that would have been interesting whether I would have, uh, whether I'd have done that or not. Well, that's interesting that you say that because I was a big fan of yours. I know you know that. Um, but when I was watching you playing in that youth team alongside Paul Lake and Andy Inchcliffe and um, so many others, Ian Bright, well, I'm not going to list them all, Stevie Redmond, but all those, those, those players, I've got to be honest, at the time, I thought that lad Ian Scott is the most talented. He's the one who will go furthest. You had a range of passing. Uh, you had shots. You had, as far as I was concerned, everything. Uh, and yet other players moved on more. And I wonder now, when you look back on your career, I'm not saying you didn't have a career, but you didn't have Paul Lake's career, you didn't have David White's career, you didn't have Andy Inchcliffe's career. Was that because of um, something in, in your head? Was that something to do with that the not en enjoying or not being capable of training, in which you've just hinted at? What was the reason that you never progressed, do you think, in the way that I believe you could and maybe should have done? A couple of things, I think, and, um, you know, over the years, I've done a lot of reflecting and, and um, I think one of them was that I wasn't that die-hard, passionate person who, you know, um, I, I played, and as you said, and I say it now to people, and don't, don't want to sort of blow your own trumpet, but I could play. I could pass the ball on the, I have a need, through an eye of a needle. Um, you know, and, and this, that, and left foot, right foot, it didn't matter. I could do all that. And I think maybe because it became so easy, it, it came easy to me that I didn't maybe put that extra effort in, whereas, you know, other players maybe go that little bit further. I'd like to think as well that I, I, I maybe missed my timing. Um, you know, in the middle of 80s, I wasn't going to tackle anybody, really. You know, I, I'd work 100% but I wasn't going to go and do a 50-50, what was, you know, it was, it was vital in them days. Um, and I sometimes look now and I think maybe now I could probably play a little bit because no one's tackling anymore, really. <laughs> and that probably would have suited me a little bit. <laughs> but in the 80s, no, I remember going to Stoke City um, for one and Lou McCary was there and... You know, he just wanted you to run up and down all day long and tackle anything that moved. And I was never going to do that. And I remember calling when I finished at um, Stoke City, I remember calling a couple of clubs. And one of them was John Beck, who was Preston manager at the time. And his first questions to me were, how, how tall are you and how fast are you? And I, I sort of like put the phone down. I thought, you know, this isn't, this isn't for me. I'm just scratching around these. Because 
I, it just wasn't, you know, I was a ball player um, and I, I was never going to be a, a tackler and a hustler and a, that kind of thing. You were never going to be a John Beck player, that's for sure. No. <laughs> uh, when, I, when I look at somebody like Joey Barton, and I'm only singling him out because he came through City's youth team, and at the time he started to progress, I looked at him and I thought, not sure about Joey, um, but he came through through sheer determination yep. and got into the team. And I'm not saying he had a lack of ability. Of course he had ability. You can't possibly be a Premier League footballer without ability. But was he the other side of the coin of what you're just talking about? Somebody who, through sheer will and determination, dragged himself into a, a successful career and, and when you had all the talent, but maybe you didn't have that drive. Is that what the difference is between you two as an example? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I, Since I've finished playing, I've got into the coach educating side of things and everything. And the mind is a, is a huge part of the game now. Um, and that's possibly one of the pieces I... I, say, I, I would say miss. I would, it was just that... that Maybe the, the determination is whether that's the right word or not. It was just I, I just couldn't, you know, put my life on the line to make a tackle. That wasn't me, you know. And I think that was the difference. But someone like Joey Barton would do, and so it was a safer bet to put somebody like him in there, um, rather at the time where you know now I was just spoke about they'd have that older midfielder who would do that. And I would probably be one of the other ones who would play around him and wouldn't have to do the tackling and the, and the, hard, the hard work. But in them days, it wasn't like that. It was, you know, both midfield players had to do the, the donkey work. Um, and, you know, that was, that was my, my fallback, if you like. So thinking about your time at City then, and obviously your era would have been Main Road, what are your happiest memories at Main Road? We've got, as fans, memories of watching players. It might be a game you played in. It might be games you played in. It might be games of head tennis in the, underneath the main stand with, with whoever. Well, what are your happiest memories of, of Main Road? Have you got any little stories you can tell us? <laughs> probably, well, I probably forgot them all by now. <laughs> Head tennis, you know, going coming as a kid and um, mornings in the gym playing the head tennis. You just mentioned it, which is absolutely brilliant, and we'd love it when Skip, Tony Book, and Glenn would come in and play with us. You know, because they were fantastic at it. They'd been doing it for years and years in that gym and knew every piece of the wall. Um, were they good cop, bad cop, as everybody says? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, Tony was the bad cop, cop and uh, Glenn was obviously the good cop but he worked perfectly and you know years and years go by and still hold those values that Tony and Glenn um, gave us and I think every player in that group would say the same thing and players that have worked with them since and before us um, and I instill that now you know with coach teams that I coach and things like that that they've They've got to have the right mindset and they've got to have the right attitude and, and those kind of, and they, they did that. And it was, you know, cleaning the toilets. Um, you know, we had to clean the toilets and the floors and, and everything else that went on. Um, going up to the, to the um, kit room to take the kit back and Joyce was there. Another, God bless the soul, she just died recently, I think, Joyce, aren't she? We just had some fun times in the kit room with her, you know, with the laundry. Um, we just we just had a ball. It was it was you know you're 16, 17 year old and you're a professional soccer player. 
football, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and yeah, it was just a ball. Life was a ball. And then obviously we 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 won the cups and we won the leagues. We had a great team. We won the FA Cup, the FA Youth Cup. They were all great times. Playing in the first, you know, my debut was great. Um, Who were your mates in that in that at that time? Did you have particular mates? No, just all of them. You know, we all went away to Spain together on holiday for a couple of years. Um, you know, in the summers. Um, so it was just a group of us, you know, Steve Redmond, Dave White, Brightwell, um, Inche, you know, we just, we just enjoyed, I think, being together. We were just, you know, lucky. We were very lucky that we came together when we did. Um, and, uh, you can't admit yeah. this, by the way. Was, was there anybody you didn't really get on with? Was anybody that got on your nerves at that time? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Maybe, hey, I think we all got on each other's nerves at some point, you know, and there'd be the odd day where you'd be like, uh, you know, but no, I think as, a, as an overall, um, we got on pretty well. We got on pretty well. Who were well. the managers then that, that you had at your time at City? We had um, Billy McNeil, was, was, I think was the main, yeah, Billy McNeil. Uh, Billy McNeil. And I remember as a young apprentice, um, sitting in the changing room where we used to sit and Billy McNeil came in and obviously we're like in awe the manager's coming to the and he was stood um, combing his hair in the mirror and just having a having a giggle and you know with us and I was just looking at him through the mirror and he and he said to me what are you looking at you know in a jokey way and me being the uh, cocky young kid who didn't know any better at the time said I don't know but it's looking back and <laughs> So he made me clean the bathrooms for about a week. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was a good, it was, it was a jokey thing. But um, we, we just had a blast, you know. Sounds like you got on with him then because Bernard Holford, obviously the, the former secretary who's, who's sadly gone now, never got on with Billy McNeil. And it, it feels as if maybe he was one of the managers who behind the scenes wasn't as popular as some of the others. I know that's only Bernard, right. but you seemed to get on really well with Billy, did you? Yeah, we had, he gave me my first chance. Um, and it was, I think it was Paul Power's testimonial. I say first chance, and I really remember this to the day and respect him totally for what he did. I think it was me and Paul Molden on the bench for, for Paul Power's testimonial. And I don't even know what we were then. We may have been, it was before we'd made any kind of debut or anything. We must have been, we may have even been 16, 17. Uh, and uh, I think they pl we played Everton. And I think we got beat up pretty bad in the testimonial. And uh, we never got on. And the next morning, he, he called me and Paul in and said, well, I apologise for not putting you on last night, but I didn't think it was the right time to put two young kids on, you know, in, in the circumstances. And you, you come away and you really appreciate that, that he took the time to tell us because he didn't need to I mean sitting on the bench was was good enough at 16 17 years old at a testimonial um but yeah he, he so I I never saw anything like that he was a he seemed to be a decent a decent guy from what I came across obviously uh, the the moment as you've already mentioned that probably stands out to City fans in your career even though you played in the first team yep. was that youth cup victory is that the moment for you if you if somebody said to you pick out your, your absolute key moment, was that was it that game if, against United, big crowd at Main Road, second leg, was that the moment that stands out for you? 
in that era it was my you know obviously it was it was the the pinnacle of definitely being an apprentice at, at city um i think for actual joy i don't think it got any better than that maybe yeah no um the pinnacle for me was the sheffield united in fact it was the pinnacle and the beginning of the end funny enough was the sheffield united game at main road um and we, we actually lost 3-2 and I got man of the match for the first time. Um, and we thought, wow, you know, this is, this is great, you know. And then the next Tuesday, I was ill. And uh, Mel Machen decided to play the first team in the reserves to try a new system. So I said, well, I, you know, I can't play. You know, I was ill. So that weekend he played the same team that played in the reserves and they won no i think they lost and um i thought well okay then they've he's tried something i'll you know hopefully i'll get back in the next game and um he, he played the same system again the next game the same players and they won and i think they went on a little run of winning games and basically after that i never really got a look back in again so the pinnacle was 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 the Sheffield United game, but it was also the the sort of the the start of the the decline, if you like, um, and the falling out with with Mel Machin and, um, but yeah, but so for Mel Machin was your least favourite City manager then. Yeah, he didn't treat me very well in the end. Yeah, he could have done a better job, I think. But you know, you learn from people and and you and you move on and. Um, yeah, yeah. Obviously, post City, you started a football career. When you look back at now, in hindsight, as a retired footballer, do you feel happy, satisfied, unfulfilled, disappointed? What what emotions do you feel? You know, for years it was. I finished playing at twenty four. I actually got a groin injury at Berry. Was at Berry at the time, and. Um, he, they were in the second or third division and the manager was, he actually told me at the time, he said, you actually play too much football for us. He says, but, you know, we, we, we'll, we, want, we want you to stay involved. And anyway, I got a, I got a groin injury and their, physio, their specialist couldn't um, fathom it out. Um, and I, actually, two or three years later, it was Paul Lake who said, go to the PFA and um, they'll sort it out for you. So I did go and it was something called Gilmore's groin. And it was operated on, and I recovered, and I ended up playing non-league. But um, so when I look back for years after that, it was a feeling of unfulfilled. And then it was the really the turning point was I went to a dinner, and it was City Old Boys. Um, I can't, I can't for life of me think what it was now. I just remember sitting around this table, and there was um, people. There was Neil Poynton was there. Eric Nixon was there and there was a couple of other guys who had played long time careers, 35 years old. They were, you know, 36, 37. They'd played all the time at top clubs. And at this stage, I was now coaching, coach educating for the FA and teaching. I was a teacher, uh, six form college, 16 to 18 year olds doing sports courses. Really, you know, you know, good time of life. I remember sitting on this table listening to them and they're saying like, yeah, I can't get a job, um, can't find work, no one, you know, 
don't know what I'm going to do. The wife's going to have to go back to work. And I'm sat thinking, maybe it was a, a nice thing in the end for me that I finished playing at 24. It allowed me to forge another career, another career that's been really, really fulfilling, another career that's allowed me to move to the US and carry on that, you know, and have a really good life at the moment, touch wood, and obviously that can change at any stage. But yeah, so now I look back and I think, great that it gave, the, the football gave me, you know, that bit of football that I did gave me my life. And maybe that was the path I, you know, was supposed to take in the end. Well, you've mentioned you're in the USA. Um, how did you end up there? Why did you go to the States? When I finished playing, I started coaching. And about 94, I ended up coaching at Platte Lane in the evenings. They had a council, because it was half run by the council, half run by Manchester City. So in the evenings, the locals would come in, the local kids would come in, and we would do the coaching. Um, and I got asked to go down there. Well, the guy who, who ran that, over a couple of summers, just said, I'm going to Maine in the US and to want to do some soccer camps. So he would disappear, and then he'd come back, and then the year after he'd disappear. And then one, I think the third year or something, he said, we're moving, we're, we're moving to the US, we're going to set up in Maine, and we're going to do camps and tours and things like that. So he was like, okay, off you go. And he went. And, and then over the course of the next few years, he'd call up every now and again and say, got a job for you, do you want to come over? And no, you know, I'm coach educating, I'm teaching, I'm happy, you know, no problem. Went on, it was around about 2010. Got to about 2010 and um, he asked us again to go over in the summer to do some camps. So eventually I spoke to the wife and we, you know, we had kids, I think they were maybe about six and four at the time. And we said, go on then, we'll come over. So we did a couple of weeks camps and then we did, the family would go to Florida and you know, have a couple of weeks in Orlando. And um, so we did that for a couple of years. The next summer we did it again. We went over, we went to Tennessee doing camps, Maine doing camps. And then eventually he said, so I've got a job for you. Do you want to, do you want to, what do you think? Well, we're now we'd, we'd seen where he was asking us to go and live. We'd been in that community for two or three weeks over a course of a couple of years. It was a beautiful place, you know. And uh, we in 2013, we said, go on then, let's, let's give it a go. So we arrived here in January of 2013. Um, he, he actually, the guy we came over with, got fired. <laughs> in the July and August of that year. So we were like, right, what do we do now? Um, I still had my job at the, at the college. With, when I'd gone on a sabbatical that allowed me to have a sabbatical for eight months. So that was running out. And we said, go on, we'll, we'll stay and give it a go. And within a few couple of weeks, I'd got a phone call from another club near where we lived, said, will you come on and... and work for us, the called directors of coaching here. So I said, yeah, go on. And basically we've, we've never looked back since touch wood. We've, I've been working as a, what they call a director of coaching for the last six years. So your love of Elvis Presley had nothing to do with you ending up in the States. Then. <laughs> Don't tell me why that. <laughs> Cause yeah, secretly it did. <laughs> no, it's funny how work, it's funny how life turns out. I remember being, 
maybe about 45, sat in the conservatory in, back in England. And obviously by this stage, my wife was now in 12 because I was. And it was, it was a bit of a thing that whenever we had a party at night, we'd always end up playing some sort of Elvis music. And I said, when we're 50, you know, I'll take you to Memphis. We'll go to Memphis. We'll save up and I'll take you to Memphis. I'd been once in the early 90s. Well, by the time we were 50, I think we'd, we'd been about 10 times by then because <laughs> we'd been over here that long. We'd, and I, every chance I got, we'd drive down there. So, um, yeah, it's, it's helped that we live nearby. And th- in Indianapolis is the last concert that Elvis ever did. It was in Indianapolis, funny enough. What's your favourite Elvis song? Did you do it at karaoke, by the way? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it really depends on what mood you're in. There's that many different, you know, genres and different types of music you sang. It really depends what kind of a mood you're in, what is your favourite song. Um, there's a great song. One of, the, one of them is a, is a song called If I Can Dream. And if you ever listen to it, it's really about what's going on at the moment. And it's a, a message song and Elvis didn't like message songs, but he really liked this song. And um, he sang it, he only ever sang it once on a TV special. And it's absolutely, you could, you, he could record it today and it would have the same message about what's going on at the moment. It's, um, it's a really, really nice song. You're going to think this is sacrilege after you've just opened your heart out and told me about that song. But um, Barry Manilow sung a version of that song. So I know it very well because my wife and I like Barry Manilow. So I do understand the the sentiment behind that. But it's not Elvis, is it? No. I can't sing sing it with much power. You've mentioned, you know, being in the States. um, And by the time people watch this, the world is changing so rapidly at the moment. Who knows what will have happened? But how do you feel? Whereabouts in the States are you? And how do you feel about... Do you feel unsafe? Do you, you, know, do you worry about what's going on? Or is this something that, that you feel protected from at the moment where you are? We're in Indiana. And we live about 35 minutes outside Indianapolis, which is the capital of Indiana. Um, so we're, we're removed from it a little bit. There were a couple of demonstrations downtown over the last weekend. Um, but no, I mean, where we are, you know, we're, at the moment, touch wood, we're, we're sort of out of the way and um, hopefully it settles down pretty soon. I mean, yeah, I mean, everyone saw what happened and the guy's being charged for, for what, he, what he did and... Hopefully that needs to continue. Where do you stand at the moment on the, the virus and the effect that it's having on the world and particularly the sport that we both love? Um, you know, because football is going to return and is returning behind closed doors. Who knows when, as fans, we'll be able to attend games again. Um, I don't know if it's possible for you to think of it from what you, how you might have reacted if you were still playing and you were being asked to do this. But certainly from where you are now, um, do, you, are, do you go along with the, it's good for spirit and it's great to have it back? Are you worried about it coming behind closed doors? Do you worry about the, the long-time connection between the sport and the fans as was? Is, it, is that going to change? Have you got some thoughts on all that? Um... It's, it's good that it's coming back. I mean, I heard someone on the radio, we, I listen to talk sport over here a lot, um, and I heard people say on the radio, you know, how many 
they're saying it's good for the morale of the nation. How many really, when, it's, when it comes down to it, how many people actually will watch the games on TV? I mean, there's only a certain amount of fans who will watch them on TV. I don't think it's going to have an effect on the morale of the nation. Um, I could be wrong. I hope I am. <laughs> I hope everything's great. And, um, but just is it just another step towards normality? I think, you know, we're getting back and um, we're starting to open up a little bit. We're, we're probably two or three weeks in front of you guys. Um, you know, we're, we're nearly at stage four of, of opening up and June 15th, we're going to be back outside training um, with the kids as normal as can be, really. They've said, you know, by that stage, it, it can be a normal situation with, with certain safeguards in place. But, um, and then July the 4th, at the moment, if everything goes okay, it's going to be everything fully open and off you go, get on with it again. Um, so it's just another step towards normality. I struggle watching games on TV when there's not a crowd. Um, you know, I've, I, in fact, I'd, I'd, I'd turn it off. It, to start with, it was, it was a novel thing. You know, you've seen these games where the crowd's banned because of some sort of incident that's happened. And you think, oh, I'll watch that and see what it's like. And it's, it's just not the same. It's, it's, it's not the same when there's not a crowd there, that's for sure. And I think most people will think the same. Um, so it would be interesting how many people, I'm pretty sure the first few games will be watched quite heavily just for the you know, the, the um, novelty content. But it'd be interesting to see how many people carry on watching it when there's, there's no atmosphere at all. And uh, that would be interesting to see what goes if on If you'd now. have been playing now, because we've seen one or two players have reservations, most have gone back. Would, would you have just gone along with it, do you think? Or would you have had any concerns at all? I think it's, it's, it's on an individual basis because... One or two players who have said they don't want to go back is have they got like a, a child in the family that's got breathing difficulties and you know they, they don't so I can understand that um, I presume the single guys who they'll probably just go back and they'll be fine you know no issues even if they caught the virus touch wood they'd be fine they'd, they'd fight it off um, so it depends where what stage in life you are you know when I was playing I'd have probably just gone back because you know, at that stage, you didn't have, much, didn't have any family as such, you know. Uh, there's, there's a point, you know, at some stage, we have to go back. You know, society cannot stay locked down forever. You know, I think everyone agrees that. It just cannot, you know. Um, so it, it's got to be on an individual basis. If some people need to continue to be locked down, then that then people need to be locked down. But for the rest of us, at some stage, we just have to get back out and, and get on with life. You've mentioned your reluctance to watch these games behind closed doors. Um, obviously, there are some games not going to be played in the stadiums that they should have been played in. Um, there are going to be some players, I guess, who, at least psychologically, are not quite at it in the way that they might have been. Um, obviously, the, the games we, we know we're not stupid are about fulfilling um, contracts with television companies to keep the businesses going etc how do you feel about the the bigger picture of clubs who are lower down the pecking order um you know not being as well protected first of all in uh, financially uh, and the fact that the integrity of the sport seems to have been compromised at least in some small way by the fact that home advantage for example the teams who are battling relegation won't have that big home advantage that they might have had before. How, how do you feel about Reggie going forward on that basis? Do, do, do the games, they do to me, I'll be honest, feel a little bit 
bit meaningless, really, the games mm. that are going to continue on now, even if City are in cup competitions at the end, which they've got something to play for. I won't have the same enthusiasm, but how, how do you feel about it? Just the same. Just the same. It is just to fulfil contracts, to get money in, to keep the business going. You know, um, the club's lower down. I think I'm right in saying I heard that is it, the, is it the championship that's going to carry on in some form and the other leagues are not? So the people who run those three divisions, they've even, no, they're not looking after the second and uh, the first division and the second division. You know, they, they've sort of cut them adrift a little bit and they're just going to look after the championship teams, which again seems, you know, divisive, if you like, because even at that level, they're saying, well, you can play, but you're not playing. So, as you say, how, how are they going to get money? How, where are they going to get that from? Um, so, it's just, it is just all about money um, and, and trying to keep some clubs going. I don't know if some of the money will go down to the lower clubs um, from the Premier Leagues. I don't know if, that, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, but, yeah, it seems a bit, you know, the haves and have-nots. Um, and hopefully they don't get cut adrift. These, these lower league clubs um, because the, the country needs them. I mean, you, over here, you realise again how, how valuable it is that teams can have that dream from going from non-league through to the Premier League. It's just invaluable because it just doesn't happen here. You know, in all the sports, in the MLS, there's 20 teams in the league. All right, halfway through, we're not going to win the league, so what? We're not going to get relegated. We'll just play out the rest of the season, and it's meaningless. Um, so we have to keep those teams and those clubs going somehow. Um, don't know how, but hopefully they can come out the other end. Well, thanks very much for, for so much of your time and, and giving us a few of your memories um, of... Of Elvis and football. <laughs> it's been great to chat to you. Um, hopefully we'll see you over here uh, sometime soon. Uh, but, but thanks very much for, for telling us a little bit of your thoughts. No problems at all. Thank you. Thank you.